0: The tour content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneweis, and this is the Stoic Jew podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to apologize to my listeners over the Atlantic. Usually I have the episode up uh, much earlier than, than it's up today. Uh, The reason why it's late is because I started to record yesterday and then I realized I need more time to think out what I'm about to say. And then so I delayed till the afternoon and uh, realized I need more time to think. And then by the evening I was too tired (laughs) to think. And even this morning I've tried recording a couple times and, um, and, uh, I can say this is going to be a messy episode. Uh, the reason why it's going to be messy is I've been, you know, the more I've Read the Stoics uh, as I've made this podcast. Then the more I've realized that there are some fundamental differences between Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, and Seneca. And uh, I think even though Epictetus was my my gateway into Stoicism, I think I have the most to disagree with with uh, with Epictetus uh, and his approach. And uh, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit yesterday and in some earlier episodes. And I'd like to take another stab at trying to define what it is that I. Uh, disagree with and and like I guess where I draw the line between um, between <laughs> see I don't even know if it's if it's my disagreement with his ideas or if it's the application um, but that's kind of what we're going to do today so let, let's read this um, excerpt from the Discourses Book Three Chapter Eight and uh, I'm just going to talk it out and uh, if it ends up being comprehensible great if not then that just means that that we need, <laughs> we need to talk it out some more. And so this will be a step in uh, the right direction either way. So Epictetus writes, As we exercise ourselves against sophistical questions, so we ought to exercise ourselves daily against appearances. For these appearances also propose questions to us. A certain person's son is dead. Answer, the thing is not within the power of the will. It is not an evil. A father has disinherited a certain son. What do you think of it? It is a thing beyond the power of the will, not an evil. Caesar has condemned a person. It is a thing beyond the power of the will, not an evil. The man is afflicted at this. Affliction is a thing which depends upon the will. It is an evil. He has borne the condemnation bravely. That is the thing which is in the power of the will. It is a good. If we train ourselves in this manner, we shall make progress, for we shall never assent to anything of which there is not an appearance capable of being comprehended. Your son is dead. What has happened? Your son is dead. Nothing more? Nothing. Your ship is lost. What has happened? Your ship is lost. A man has been led to prison. What has happened? He has been led to prison. But that herein he has fared badly. Every man adds from his own opinion. But God, but God, you say, does not do right in these matters. Why? Because He has made you capable of endurance. Because He has made you magnanimous. Because He has taken from you that which bef- He has taken from that which befalls you, the power of being evil. Because it is in your power to be happy while you are suffering what you suffer, because he has opened the door to you when things do not please you, man, go out and do not complain. Okay, so let's start off with what I I did like about this reading and what I agreed with here, uh, is the notion that when things happen to you, you should treat them as questions. And the question being posed to you is um, basically, (laughs) what is the appearance and what is the reality? You know, um, and this is a, a foundation of Stoicism in general, but especially in Epictetus. We've had episodes about this in the past where, um, you know, just because uh, I think the episode I talked about it most at length was uh, when um, I uh, I saw that um, part of my car was uh, damaged, and uh, my immediate impression was uh, this is a, an evil, um, and, uh, or this is bad, not evil. I, didn't, I don't think in terms of evil like that, but <laughs> this is bad. But really, what what actually just happened is... Is the car was uh, was damaged? You know, did it impair the functionality? No. Did it harm me? No. So it really is just the fact that I felt somehow, you know, victimized or disadvantaged from the fact that this car that I had, you know, uh, is no longer in a pristine condition the way that it was before. But it's not actually evil. Nothing bad happened to me. So in other words, the technique of asking. Of of treating things that happen to you and treating your reactions as questions posed to you gives you pause and allows you to to assess whether whether this is the reality or whether this is an appearance or an impression, and it allows you to evaluate the impressions. So so up until there, I agree with. Okay. However, I think the biggest uh, the biggest problem I have with Epictetus's uh, approach is um, is the notion that. (laughs) And again, I know this is like the foundation of Stoicism, the notion that the only definitions of good and bad have to do with the exercise of the will, okay? And just just to to clarify this, um, uh, I I think uh, the—so I have this edition of Epictetus' handbook uh, translated by Keith Seddon, and he has a a really good commentary throughout the book, and he has an intro— And I just want to read his summary of what Epictetus views as good. Uh, So he says the central claim of Stoic ethics is that the only virtues and, sorry, is that only the virtues and virtuous activities are good, and that the only evil is vice and actions motivated by vice. When someone pursues pleasure or wealth, Say believing these things to be good, the Stoics hold that this person has made a mistake with respect to the nature of the things pursued and the nature of their own being. For the Stoics deny that advantages such as pleasure and health, uh, wealth and status, and so forth, are good because they do not benefit those who possess them in all circumstances. Virtue, on the other hand, conceived as the capacity to use such advantages wisely, being the only candidate for that which is always beneficial, is held to be the only good thing. So virtue, and so that's the criterion. Criterion, right? Is that. If something were always good, then you can you can call it good. But there are many things which are not always good. Uh, and so you can't call them good. So what's the only thing that is always good is virtue. And just for a working definition here, virtue being the the proper exercise of your will uh over things that are in your control. Um now, so what about other things like health and wealth and status and all that stuff? So that's where you have the stoic oh, and and their opposites, like death and sickness and poverty. So that's where you have the stoic concept of calling these things indifferent things. They're indifferent in the sense that that they are um are outside of your control and therefore they have nothing to do with virtue. And uh, and there are two categories of them. Preferred indifferent things and dispreferred indifferent things. And I'll, I'll read Keith Seddon's uh, summary of that as well. Indifferent things are either preferred or dispreferred. Preferred are life, health, and wealth, friends and family, and pretty much all those things that people pursue as desirable for leading a flourishing life. Dispreferred are their opposites death, sickness, and poverty, social exclusion, and pretty much all those things that people seek to avoid as being detrimental for a flourishing life. Thus, the preferred indifference have a value for a Stoic, but not in terms of being good. They have an instrumental value with respect to their capacities to contribute to a flourishing life as the objects upon which our virtuous actions are directed. The Stoic does not lament their absence, for their presence is not con- constitutive uh, of eudaimonia, of, uh, of human flourishing happiness. What is good for is, is the virtuous use of... One makes of such preferred things should they be to hand, but no less good are one's virtuous dispositions in living as well as one may, even when they are lacking. Okay, so uh, just to summarize here, so, so the Stoic would not say that sickness is bad because it's not within your control, and the only thing that is truly bad is vice, is, is your exercise of your will which is in your control. And same thing health is not good because it is not within your control. It doesn't depend on your exercise of will. Therefore, uh it's it it can't be you know spoken of or conceived of in terms of good and bad. However, it is health is preferred over sickness in the sense that if you are healthy, it will make it easier for you to live a virtuous life. And so given the choice, of course the stoic would prefer to be healthy than to be sick. But but to view it as bad is really, uh, is really inaccurate. Okay. Now, this is really where we get to the crux of the matter. So in his examples that, that we read uh, in the excerpt here, um, he, sa- he gives the example of, of death, right? A person's son is dead, and he says, the thing is not within the power of the will. It is not an evil. So from Stoke's framework, what he means is, yeah, you can't control whether someone dies. And in fact, we all die. And so if we all die and you can't control it, and it has nothing to do with your exercise of your will, that's not bad. The only thing that would be bad is if you reacted to that death in an improper way, uh, a way that was not in line with uh, with reality. Um, but see, this is really where Judaism differs, because what is our standard of good and bad? I mean, look no further than the first chapter of Brachis. And again, I I, I realize I might be opening up a can of uh, of uh, ethical and metaphysical worms here, but, you know, uh, at every stage it says that, uh, you know, or at, no, almost every stage of creation, it says that God saw that it was good. So what is the basic concept of uh, or measure of good and bad in the torah it's existence existence in line with god's design so if a thing is existing in line with the uh, with the way it was designed then that is that is the standard of goodness and and evil would be a lack of the thing existing in the way that it is designed to exist now when it comes to all other existences in the universe then things are good automatically so to speak by automatically i mean that they can't deviate from their design everything is functioning in line with god's will um but with human beings uh we are the only creatures who can choose to live contrary to our design so we were designed as betelum to be a a a, an animal you know rational animal, an animal that can seek truth and, uh, and uh, you know, seek knowledge for its own sake uh, and perceive uh, uh, abstract conceptual ideas. That's really what we are, but we also have an animal body uh, and, uh, and emotions and a psyche. So for us, the good is living in line with that design of being a truth-seeking rational animal, but an evil would be a lack in that. Okay, now this is really where we get to the problem, which is that for us so what would we say about death so what we would say about death is on the one hand vis-a-vis us death is bad okay meaning for you to not be able to live and live in line with your with your nature and your design as it's alim is bad on the other hand death is also inevitable and it's part of your design as a rational animal so the phenomenon of death as a whole, in the universe, is good. Um, that's actually the drusha of Rabbi Meir on the Pasuk, uh, that God saw everything he made that it was very good, and uh, Rabbi Meir says very good refers to death. The existence of death in the universe is a good thing. Um, and uh, it's part of the nature of the universe as well. So, so in that sense, we would say that death is not an evil, and it really is a good. And then there's the fact also that Regardless of whether death is good or bad for you, there is the, the fact that you can't control it. And since you can't control it, you know, then from a decision-making standpoint, then it's not good or bad. Meaning that whatever happens is in God's will and uh, is is up to God's will, and and therefore you shouldn't relate to it as as good or bad in terms of your decision-making, because you, in other words, your, your job is to make the best decision that you can. And, uh, and the outcome is not in your hands. And so in terms of decision-making, then, uh, as long as you, you know, uh, exercise your free will properly and made the best decision that you can, given the circumstances, then, uh, then you've made a good decision and, and fretting about the results is not productive and it's not rational. And, uh, and so therefore to treat it as bad is really not something that would be in your best interest. <laughs> you know, if you, if you continually treat results as bad because they don't go the way that you want, that's really, um, you know, th- th- that's, that's really, uh, not conducive to living a, a, a good life because you're, you're, you're constantly going to be attaching your, your, your happiness and your, your, uh, you know, your sense of good and bad to things outside of your control. Like I, I'm thinking, let's say like, um, you know, we've been learning uh, Hallel in my Tehillim Shir, and you know, d- uh, d- in the last parak of Hallel, Hamel says, um, uh, that Hashem is with him, and he doesn't fear. What can man do to him? What you know, Ma Yas Adam, What can man do to me? So, so we said, well, of course, man can do many things to you. You know, he could he could harm you, he could kill you, and stuff. And uh, and we were learning the radak, and the radak, you know, throughout these proclamations of Tehillim emphasizes the fact that David is really relating to himself not as essentially a body, or not essentially as a social creature, but as a soul. You know, that he's, David Malik was saying that his fundamental values are seeking knowledge of God, and no man can harm him in that capacity, you know, um, and uh, and therefore he's not afraid. So... So, uh, how do we frame that? In other words, on the one hand, he is defining the good the way that the Torah defines it, which is to live as a Telem And as long as another person is not taking away your capacity to live as a Telem melokim then, uh, then they're not actually harming you. But on the other hand, they could take away your capacity to live as a Telem if they killed you. <laughs> you know, uh, And we would say that, that being killed is a bad, is an evil, um, for that reason. But yet that has no bearing on how David and Malik lives. As long as he's making the decisions to live in a way that are, uh, you know, that are taking the factors in his control and then using them to make uh, the best decisions possible to live as a Selim then he's making good decisions. So this is really what my, 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 this is my, my dance that, uh, with, with Epictetus. I mean, I, uh, I recognize the truth in what he's saying and, uh, but yet I, I struggle with... With uh, and I re- realize that his view of the the of the good is at odds with Torah, but at the same time, from a practical sense, it seems to be in line with Torah. And and this is really my dilemma. <laughs> I told you this is going to be messy. I warned you. Um, and we didn't even get to the point of 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 uh, of my problem with Epictetus about just being able to say, "Oh, your son is dead. Uh, it's not evil," and then just move on. You know that that we've talked about that before, though. Okay, I, I've rambled for long enough. Uh all right. Apologize for the uh, messiness of the episode, but guess what? It's not in my control because right now all I'm trying to do is is uh is think out loud about these concepts and to uh you know, as the stated purpose of this podcast, to explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Uh that's it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today and would like to support my production of even more Torah content, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com. slash Link in the description. That would be a uh Uh, it would be a, uh, a preferred indifferent if you were to contribute to my Patreon. Thank you to my listeners for listening, and thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.